0: Welcome to Viewpoints, listeners. I'm your host Henry Grussac. Gives me great pleasure to welcome co-host Russell Hanby to this edition of What's Making News. Welcome again, co-host Russell.
1: Thanks, Henry. How are you, my friend? I'm well, thanks. Yes, uh, we've had a little bit of heat, but it's interesting in Melbourne. You get one or two hot days, and it's cool again, isn't it? That's been the pattern.
0: Yeah, Melbourne's one of those places in the world where you either say, "Gee, I love the variety of uh, temperate weather." Mainly, we. When you go around and you look at other places in the world, um, they can have far more extreme hot weather and far more extreme cold weather. We, we tend not to, to have too much of the extremes, although the heat waves have come up a little bit more in, in, in recent years. But overall, we have a generally temperate climate. But Melbourne's one of those places where you get the variety. Now, some people hate it and others love it. What's your That's view? Right.
1: Yeah, the old joke that you know, if you don't like the, uh, the weather, just wait a bit and there'll be changed the <laughs> <oven>.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. What's your view? I mean, we because you can get a climb, I mean, you tend to get acclimatized to where you live. Um, what's your view of Melbourne's variable weather, or as they put it, four seasons in the one day? Although that's a bit of an exaggeration,
1: though. yeah, it is, isn't it? Um, we only have to look at the storm Sydney's having over the weeks, mm. and we sort of missed a lot of that, except for last week, but uh, yeah, oh, no, no, I, I don't mind it actually, and you know, I quite prefer the temperate uh, temperatures, uh, the cooler temperatures to the, the extreme heat, you know once, once it gets the high 30s into 40s, it's sort of just uh, find a cool place to be type weather isn't it?
0: <laughs> yeah, and I, I also like a bit of the variety in the weather, you know um, if, if you you get the same, pretty much, temperature every day 90% of the time. I sort of think that's, well, if it's temperate climate, you might like it. But I don't mind the idea of, you know, there's a change in the temperature and suddenly, you know, there's a storm brewing, not too big a storm. Uh, you get the cool change or and then you get the rain and then the next day the sun comes out and you get a beautiful sunny day uh, or even in the same day. I, 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 I quite like it rather than every day it's the same sort of temperature temperature pretty much and conditions all the time and uh, so, but then there are people who oh yes i dress for a warm day and by afternoon i need i need some some extra clothes on i can't take a suitcase of clothes to work so yeah it, it, i guess it depends on who you are doesn't it
1: russ it does and what you get used to i suppose too absolutely
0: yeah. now you had some homework i think
1: well, yeah, just a little bit. It was sort of in passing. Remember, we did the odd spot about the guy who self he dubbed himself in for drink driving in yep. England. <laughs> and, you, and you said, I wonder what happened to him. He was over three times the limit. Well, he he was charged with drink driving. He was remanded for a while then he was on bail now. He's due before the magistrates at the end of the month on February 29. And as I say, he's been bailed before the court appearance. So that, he's sort of going through the process but he's out on bail at the moment gosh uh,
0: uh, uh, it'll I mean they can't let him off because that's extremely dangerous the the judge may uh, mitigate the actual fine he gets i guess a little bit because he he did self-report but he self-reported in a state where he probably didn't know what he was doing
1: no that's right (laughs) (laughs) so uh, i I think they'll throw that they make an example of him i think to uh, you know that he won't be able to get off uh, because he's uh, done the a dumb thing you could say. <laughs> yeah,
0: absolutely. Well, interesting. We'll wait and see what ends up happening. Well, we've got some interesting topics for this week, uh, Russell. Kinder teachers in uh, the Herald Sun are needed. The state government will struggle to find 1,200 new educators for the 35 childcare centres and kinders it plans to build by 2027, industry sources say. So it's a good idea and it's a great initiative, you know, in terms of edu- early education for our children. But you know, when you when it comes on top of um, the shortage of teachers uh, in schools uh, and kindergarten shortages, um, it's it 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 could be derailed.
1: Yes, uh, the, the government's going to need 692 educators, 102 teachers and 50 centre directors amid a dire shortage, as you say, in the early learning workforce. The Staff shortages are hitting the early childhood sector hard. There are over 800 vacancies for educators, managers and assistants and about 714 teaching and education support workers in schools needed. Now, uh, so, yes, so on one hand they're saying we're going to have a whole lot more, but then they're finding it hard to accommodate the current ones. The opposition early childhood uh, spokeswoman, Jess Wilson, wonders how attracting and and retaining 1,200 more staff won't disadvantage struggling existing providers. And uh, it's a bit hard to see how how that would work, isn't it?
0: Yeah, look, in fairness to the state government, um, the plan was to do this, Uh, and uh, at the time they probably couldn't see this coming. Um, But of course, yes, um, it's probably going to mean something similar to what's going to be needed in the teaching profession, Russell, and that is they're going to have to have a root and branch re-look at pay and conditions within the profession to make the profession a far more appealing one for people to join and stay because that's the problem we've got in teaching. People um, are leaving and others just don't want to come to it. Now, you can talk up the nobleness of the profession and the importance of education, which it is, which those things are true, um, but unless you make some changes that attract the people. There's no use just saying, you know, do it because it's a great profession and, you know, your your holidays are good or whatever because if those things aren't attracting or keeping people, then there are other things that need to be addressed. It's sort of a no-brainer, isn't it?
1: Yes, you think so. Uh, and it's interest, interestingly, I think the tide's turning with people's idea of how much teachers get now. I think we're regarded as, you know, needing more pay by a lot more people than uh, perhaps 10 years ago said.
0: Yeah, well, look, look, it's an interesting one. People, and I talk to people and they say, oh, teaching's not a bad, you're not bad paid. you've got good holidays. Um, yeah, that's right. Well, well... You know, I mean, the bottom line is if you've been teaching uh, for some years, you've got a degree and you're in a learning specialist, which is a middle management important role and teaching's not an easy job. Anyone who says teaching's, you know, uh, just fun and games and supervising kids um, has no idea of how complex, challenging it is and the pressures on teachers and educators at kinders they have no idea of it. Um, a hundred and what $20,000, people say, oh, that's good money, but these are people often who are earning, you know, around about that or a bit less, and they think, oh, teaching, oh, yeah, you get good holidays, that's not bad pay. But the bottom line is it's not good enough because people don't want it. And we just heard the other day, didn't we, where the CFMEU have struck a deal, and um, on the face of it, it looks like, you know, crossing attendants or lollipop people, as we call them, if they're working full-time with all the incentives they get, they could earn a hun- up to $120,000 a year. Now, when you look at it from that angle, is, is a similar salary for somebody who's got to teach kids and has a leadership role in a school is earning about that?
1: Is, yeah. it, it doesn't make sense. And, of course, they've had to do a uni or a college course of four years or so, and uh, I saw that that lollipop business was a three-day training, so you can't compare them, really, can you? No, you no. can't.
0: You can't. Um, and, and the other thing is we've got private schools who are in the same position as us, desperately trying to get teachers. The ones that have more money, and we're overfunding some of them on the school resource standard, that's another issue, and we're all underfunded in public schools, Um, they're offering in some cases, you know, incentives that are well above what we can pay according to awards. So they're creaming off our teachers where they can. (laughs) And we're funding it to some degree, uh, directly or indirectly, through, um, through the differential that's unfair on the school resource standards so when you look at that um, and all the pressures in teaching and the accountabilities uh, it can't be well paid enough conditions good enough for people to want to be there and educators we're talking here in that boat now if you want people to join a profession you have to make it worthwhile don't you
1: you generally we often read about the, the high proportion of young gra- gra- graduates into teaching who say they won't be there uh, in five years. They, they uh, you know, they say uh, that's not their aim to stay longer.
0: Well, they don't. I mean, all the stats mm. show that at least twenty to thirty percent of them are gone within you know less than five years. Now, for people who have put in you know three to four years of university training in a particularly specialist qualification and then say goodbye after one, two, three years max, um, there's something fundamentally needs to change and probably more than one thing. And, uh, you know, uh, the educators, we've now got all these kinders opening up and they're struggling to find people and they they can't just conjure people up. They've got to be qualified
1: as they should be. Well, they're short to start now with the current lot, aren't
0: they? Mm. So, look, great idea um, from the state government. Um, You know, I think uh, having these centres and this initiative is a really top class one. Um, But I think there's got to be a lot of thought put into, um, as part of the whole education system uh, agenda, how do we get more people to want to come in in the first place and once they come in stay because I don't see too many policies at the moment that um, are really going to generate that sort of long-term difference uh, in, uh, in, in, in the attractability, attractiveness uh, of the, of the um, sector but um, time will tell. Now you've got an interesting one there to talk about Russell.
1: Yes, uh, from the age, uh, chest pain danger owners, heat rises. Now, it's something paramedics have long observed when the weather in Melbourne warms up. And uh, and I've lost the rest of that sentence, because it didn't come out of what you had. But I presume that there's been, and uh, we know there's an increase in the number of uh, presentations with chest pain when it heats up, don't we? The Abs- paramedic... Paramedic Jack Bosler, the uh, Ambulance Victoria Brighton team manager, says when the body is under stress on hot days, it just seems to flare up so many of these types of issues. And a large survey, and it was a very large survey, has found ambulance call-outs for chest pain rise notably as temperatures increase. The yeah, temperatures above and below daily temperatures of 20.8 degrees led to an increase in the number of people reporting chest pains. Uh, extreme cold can also bring it on, but it's more the heat. In fact, days above 26.4 degrees causes a spike, but there's, in fact, 20% more people reporting chest pains on 36-degree days than 26-degree days. So the higher temperature, a fifth more um, report pains, and researchers warn that with the warming climate, more young people and those with comorbi- comorbidities will suffer dangerous chest pain. In fact, overall 10% of ambulance calls is for acute chest pain. And as I said, the heat and cold appear to increase the risk of, of the presentations. Interestingly, the younger people, 18 to 40 year olds, and those of lower socioeconomic status, mm. they're at greater risk of heat related chest pain presentation.
0: Mm. Probably because the conditions in which they live and work are different. Um, yeah, look, it's a, it 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 it's intuitively makes sense, doesn't it? The hotter it gets, the more stress there is. Yes.
1: On our bodies. I mean, I mean we all yes. know that. That's right. yeah. So, um, and that, yeah, and other so, things like dehydration and other things yes. uh, come into it, don't they? Absolutely.
0: Yeah. So, I guess the message there is, um, you know, be, be warned, be careful.
1: That's right. Keep cool and hydrated and where a sun where
0: at. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, again, we always... Do you know what? There's so much bad news in the media. One of the reasons that I do this, we do this, Russell, don't we, is we put in good medical uh, stories or any good story because um, sometimes it's hard to find them. The media tends to put in a lot more, you know... Um, uh, Negative stories and positive, probably because it—I uh, don't know—is it uh, be interesting to see why people, why they do that, and why they believe, and why it appears so that people, people flock to bad, bad news stories more than good ones. Is it fear? Now, this one's a good one: glimmer of hope for MND patients, drug may reverse condition. Australian motor neuron disease patients, will be the first in the world to trial a novel treatment that scientists hope could not only slow, but actually reverse the condition. If successful, the US biotech firm Spinogenics drug would be the first regenerative treatment for the devastating and rapid neurodegenerative disease, which kills two Australians a day and may also help fight Alzheimer's and schizophrenia. That's a... Um, Gee whiz, it's another... Makes you feel good when you come across those sort of stories, Russell.
1: Yes, it certainly gives us hope, doesn't it? And, uh, and yes, and this first MND trial will take place next month after a successful safety trial in Melbourne. Uh, and uh, it's the actual d- pill or drug is SPG302. Uh, patients take a daily pill for up to a year, and the trial is open for, for 24 MND patients with Lou Gehrig's disease, which is a type of MND. Yes, uh, now. Now, Spionogenics founder, Dr. Sela Saraf, she's super excited. She says the drug was effective in animal trials, and what it does, the drug targets the connections between neurons called synapses uh, to regrow. Uh, those lost to MND, Alzheimer's and schizophrenia. In other words, it restores these connections, giving benefits in motor, respiratory, cognition, breathing and remembering. And Dr Sarif says we're hoping our drug will not only fight the disease but destroy it. And MND Australia Research Executive Officer says that every uh, new trial leads to new therapy. So it's all good.
0: Oh, that's a great one. And that's such a horribly, horrible uh, no, no no terminal disease is anything but but, but terrible, but that's a shocker, and uh, as one of the people quoted in there who's sadly suffering from MND, Russell says, the psychological impact of having a disease that you know is going to progress in the way that it does is as tough uh, a tougher thing to deal with as is the actual physical decline, and um, you, you, you can only just you just can. You can only just imagine the the psychological suffering that people who have uh, MND must go through, Russell, uh, in yes. dealing with it.
1: That's right. We only have to see Neil Danaher mm. the, uh, with his uh, big freeze efforts and uh, how he's. Uh, he, well, he is he's he's not getting that better, is he? We watch him each time and every yes. year. Year to year, you notice a, a decline, unfortunately, mm.
0: and. Living with that and knowing what's going to happen to you, and that's with all terminal illnesses, I guess, Russell. For people, it's a, it's a tough gig, isn't it?
1: Yes, indeed.
0: Now, here's one that's interesting. I knew you'd like this because you're right into um, award-winning <laughs> plays, aren't you? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, uh, yes, award, this is from the Age award-winning play reaches Melbourne in intimate setting. After spending years helping others to tell their stories, S. Shakthiran uh, realised that there was a gap in his own. He, he, the playwright says, "I don't really know who I am. Who I am without knowing my past, uh, and I suppose that's fairly true. Yes, he knows nothing about uh, why his family left Sri Lanka or how he came to Australia. His mother never." Mentioned it. And he's got a new uh, epic he's written, Counting and Cracking. It's a critically lauded epic that uh, tracks generations of one family across Sri Lanka and Australia. And for anxious, uh, he turned to the community and to the family scattered overseas. He realised it was a story of the politics of division. And he says politicians spruiking nationalism and division uh, as a way of uh, coming to power, in fact, tore apart groups that were previously intertwined and can eventually lead to violence. And he says the consequences of the politics of division causes grievous consequences decades later. So to find out about his own story, he and his uncle read out loud uh, his great-grandfather's letters, which they they found and uh, the grandfather was an Oxford student and member of the first post-independent government of Sri Lanka, and the philosophy was that everyone is equal, but uh, unfortunately that failed, so uh, he changed his mind a bit and later Mm. believed that Tamils needed to be separate and have their own homeland. So uh, it's a big story, quite a complicated issue, but uh, he's written this uh, play about it. Oh, yes. Yeah, and it's won many many awards, Counting and Cracking.
0: Yes, and and it's really a story of... um Learning about your own ancestry and uh, the, the what led to the the decisions, what they were that led to where you now are, a person in that uh, dynasty of families, and. Um, Knowing who you are and where you came from, I think I think all of us to some degree. There's gaps because we don't. We, a lot of it's oral. We don't know all the stories and the, the reasons behind why some of our great great grandparents or whatever ma- parents, uh, particularly migrants, uh, the full story behind um, why they came and came to be yeah, they, where they were. It's, it's fascinating. Uh, I, I um, I've I've got friends who were adopted. And uh, they all take a different perspective on it. Some of them find out, some of them don't. Some of them are happy to find out and and some of them get disappointed uh, because we all speculate and we fill the gaps ourselves in our mind and we, we don't always... We don't always get it right, do we, Russell?
1: No, we don't. And those shows that have been on TV, like the SBS show, I think it's called Who Do You Think You Are or something, yep. uh, it follows the, well, it's more a tree of the, the, their ancestors, but it, it goes into what they got up to and that. Uh, it's rather interesting, isn't it, on some of those? Yes, What's
0: yes, on? yes. And this would be an intriguing one too. And I think, yeah, I think a lot of people could um, identify with uh, a play that uh, takes a, a rear-vision view of, um, of your family.
1: Yes, right.
0: Now, time's on the wing. I this mm-hmm. is an interest. They're all interesting, but I like this one. Uh, Russell. <laughs>
1: <That's> <laughs> Odd right.
0: spot of the week. Have <laughs> a go yeah. at it, mate.
1: Yeah, a a rust-coloured stingray called Charlotte has spent much, of, spent much of her life drifting in an aquarium in North Carolina. Now, she hasn't shared a tank with a male of her species in at least eight years, but is now pregnant with as many as four pups. Experts have dismissed speculation one of the five small sharks that share her tank might be the father, instead pointing to the rare phenomenon of... Parthogenesis. Parthogenesis. it's a type of asexual reproduction Mm -hmm. that can occur in some insects, fish, amphibians, birds and reptiles, so they can produce just on their own in some cases.
0: Yeah, quite amazing um, that that that, that, uh, has happened, Um, were you aware of that?
1: I think I've heard of a, we've heard of asexual reproduction, yes. but I wasn't aware of that, that sort of it's quite an interesting story. That isn't it? You know, mm, but it, I don't I, I don't know how they came up with one of the. I don't think one of the five small sharks would be the father somehow into <laughs> the stingray radio.
0: No, no, no. I think I think that's uh, that's obviously yeah. The interspecies like that couldn't happen. Uh, but it's uh, yeah, it's an interesting one. That one that. Uh, uh, and the little the little stingrays called pups. Now I wasn't aware of that.
1: Were you? No, no I wasn't. It's quite interesting sometimes what the the, the baby animals are called, isn't it? You yeah. know, across the species. Yeah, yeah, pups.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting one. Yeah, you, you. The other thing that's interesting too, Russell. We often get these at trivia nights, and that is what is um, a group of a particular uh, animal species are called? You know, like a flock yeah. of birds. That's uh, right. <laughs>
1: M- murder of Crows. A but, murder
0: but, of Crows, yeah, and so <laughs> on and so forth. They're quite amazing. And the, the, the thing that'd be interesting on that would be what's the history to that? And uh, would you like to find out next week for us where did the, you raised it, you didn't know this was coming, a murder of Crows. What's the history to the choice of murder
1: of Crows? Yes, that's right. There's your homework. We only know one definition, don't we, in English currently, <laughs> like murder of crows. So uh, the word obviously
0: got to mean something else at some yes. point in time.
1: Oh, well, I'll see how I go with that. Yeah, that would be
0: that would be very fascinating, Russell. Well, there's your homework. There's our program done, Russell. Thank and enjoy the lovely weather we're getting, the nice heat wave that's coming up. Uh, there'll be a cool change at the end of it.
1: That's right, yes. We'll catch up with you next week then.
0: We will. That was Russell Hanby, co-host for What's Making News on the Viewpoints podcast, listeners.